Hello, this is Product Tuesdays. Welcome. If you're involved in the product development life cycle, Product Tuesdays is a rare community for you. Join professionals such as product managers, product designers, data analysts, software developers, growth managers, product marketers, and others that are involved in the product development process. Follow us on our social media pages at Product Tuesdays and click the link in the bio to learn more. This episode you're about to listen to is a recorded live Twitter space that takes place every Tuesday by 6 p.m. West Africa. Time. The conversation is tagged, building a product design career. Today we have an amazing speaker that I'll be sharing with us, is Johnny, design expert. First of all, I want to quickly shout out to my co-host today, Tobichuku Otokere. Uh, he's a data scientist and product manager, also got himself. He's also an amazing instrumentalist. Uh, Tobichuku, you want to say hello to our listeners today? Hello, hello, hello. Hello, everyone. Nice to have you here. I'm also glad to be here as well. Thank you, Manu. All right. Quickly now, I remain Manu Ogunshalam, your host for today. I work with an amazing team of audacious folks at Old School Africa and Talent Cure. If you're looking to learn um, a tech skill, then go straight to at Old School Africa on Twitter. That's ALT School Africa. Or visit the website altschoolafrica.altschoolafrica.com to learn more. Also, if you are stuck as a software developer and you do not know the next steps to take, we have Pipeline by Talent Cure, which is positioned to upskill you for that amazing job. So quickly now, if you're a software developer and you're stuck and you're thinking of the next phase, uh, you're listening to us right now, go to pipeline.talentcure.com to learn more. Okay. All right. Now, I would love to introduce our speaker uh, right now. But before I do that, I would love each person that has joined the space right now um, that are listening to us to tweet about the space, share and the DMs with people uh, either about to transition into a product design role or their product designers just trying to figure things out with their career right now. So don't forget to use the hashtag Product Tuesdays if you're tweeting, hashtag Product Tuesdays. And just so do me this favor, guys. Uh, uh, whichever device you listen to us on now, go to our Product Tuesdays, right? Also, hit the follow button. And also, because we once you hit that button, get to know about our coming events. Okay, I want to welcome our speaker, Paul Otu. Paul, right, is based in Lagos. Um, he has an interesting background in electrical electronics engineering. And it's going to be interesting to hear him talk to us today. So as a skilled design expert with over 15 years of experience, Paul currently is a group head of design and user experience um, at InterSwitch. Paul also has worked as an app director with one of the leading advertising agencies in the country, DDB, and also has worked with um, Visible Impact and Triple Y creative design agency as a creative director. So, Paul's friends spans 15 years, uh, over 15 years, uh, if I should say that, like, I have to correct myself before. <laughs> so Paul also, let me just say this before I bring Paul up, Paul also is passionate about people, is passionate about design, and is also passionate about products. And he will be sharing with us a lot more about his experience, his journey, and also to help um, product designers out there, designers out there um, um, today who are looking into transitioning, who are also already in the space as uh, designers, as as the case may be, and and all of that. So, Paul, uh, welcome to Product Tuesdays. Thank you so much, Manuel. Um, 
I was going to say, with that kind of introduction, Emmanuel gave, I, I am not sure I have anything else to say. <laughs> Still joking. But hey, um, hi everyone. Good afternoon again. It's Paul, as Emmanuel said. I lead the design team at InterSwitch. And I'm a designer, right? I've had an interesting... Um, my background is in electrical engineering, right? A few years ago, I never thought I would be in this field, but here I am now. I saw as I studied electrical engineering, University of Lagos. I have um, I have interest in a lot of things, right? So um, my engineering background has helped 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 shape my design career, and I don't think they are different. So as for my design career, I would just like to speak on a few things. Yeah, so I started as I started designing in school, right? As most people dabbling with a with your laptops and stuff back in the day. I started I started as a freelancer back then in the University of Lagos. I had I did a lot of freelance work pretty much for campus groups, for off-campus groups, you know. Um back then it was strictly visual design. But as time went on, um the field of web design was emerging then, it was becoming more mainstream. We had tools and access to develop websites using tools like Dreamweaver and the likes. So we gradually started doing product design, but we didn't know it was product design then, right? We're designing websites with Dreamweaver, Fireworks, and the likes. What, 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 what that helped us do, at some point I realized that um, Yes, design is one thing, but the most important thing was I quickly learned that what we're trying to do then was solve problems. So um, as opposed to making things pretty, which was what we thought of at first, I actually realized that more was required, right? If you're going to do things different, if you're going to build experiences that made it different, what are the necessary tools and skill sets that we had to invite? So um, I think that marks an interesting part of my career. So straight out of school, I worked in consulting. I also started up a design agency with a group of friends. And we did some amazing work. We did some really amazing work back then, right? We got exposure. We worked with some governments. We worked with some major corporations. And the experience was very good. But what, what that taught us, well, we, we, we hit a very, we got to be attained success really, really early. And what that, but we didn't have the structure to back it up. Um, after a few years, we, should I say, we imploded. So yes, um, consulting, I've had a stint in entrepreneurship, set up a design agency, did some amazing work, you know, made some amazing mistakes also, but we learned a lot, learned a lot in terms of developing a creative career, understanding the business side of design, understanding how important um, design was, being able to get a grasp of the fact that building experiences was more important than building products. And I think, I'm hoping that we'll talk about it in question and answer session. But I mean, that, was, that, that has been my experience so far, right? So the first half of my career, was more exploratory, right? Trying to trying our hands on different things from freelancing to, to setting up a design agency to working in consulting. We knew we were going to design, we knew what it was, but we're not exactly sure what aspect of design was. So we doubled into so many things from branding to printing to web design to all sorts. Well, an interesting couple of years. 
um, we're much younger, there was not much to lose, so we're able to do a lot more things, right? We got our fingers burnt a couple of times, but a lot of the lessons learned here was what we took into the second phase. So the second phase of my journey was in, um, yeah, so I was in the nine to five, right? So aside on the agency side, I worked with um, a few ad agencies back in the day and some design houses, but the most prominent one was DDB Lagos. I worked as a director, right? I used to design ads and TV commercials back then for brands like MTN and, um, you know, quite a number of interesting things, too exotic, uh, no. So it was, it was interesting, but what that enabled us to do was understand things from a different perspective. So this was like a higher level. There was more expectation. There were, um, you went from being the most creative and the most intelligent person in the room to being in the midst of um, people who schooled you on a daily basis. I mean, working in the same room with some names, some industry-recognized names, right, um, was a very, very, it was like going to school all over again. Right, learning from the likes of Chuka will be learning walking side by side with the likes of Larry Okonla, Larry Parker. It was just it was amazing, right? But I knew that deep down inside there was more, right? Yes, sizing was one part of it, but I think my heart was in design experiences. I did not know how that was scout. I had no idea what it was called. <clears throat> so excuse me. I didn't know what there was no definition for it, but it gradually unfolded as we went along. Right. While working at DDB, I was seconded to InterSwitch. I was working on the InterSwitch brief, and that came at the time when InterSwitch was rebranding. It was 2016. I, I, I did, I, I'm mixing up the dates. Please bear with me. Between 2015 and 2016, actually, yes. Right. So InterSwitch was undergoing a major rebrand, and it was not just a visual rebrand. It was a rebrand from the whole purpose and the, uh, the, the organization was going through a strategic rebrand across board. We're changing our business definition, changing how we were perceived in the business, in the, in the, in the industry. The fintech space was gradually evolving. We had more, there was more, um, the role of fintech wasn't, was evolving from being a back office function, the guys that you never see, to um, being more at the forefront of providing value to businesses and customers. And I think that was the major turning point in my career. And I'll explain. So I was um, working with, working on the InterSwitch brief that day, that year, put me right, right at the center of so many things, right? So there was the part of um, corporate restructuring. We're changing internal culture and policies. We're building a new nation for what the business was going to be identified by in an emerging ecosystem that the future that will be coming mainstream gradually. You could see the role of engineers there. You could that you could see the role of business analysts. You could understand the role of product managers, right? A lot of other things were there, but the role of design was practically non-existent. There were no core designers that interswitch whether from a visual design point of view or to a UX point of view, there were, there were no, there was no, there was no design. I remember my very first day, right? 
coming to the interface office and everybody had Excel sheets on their screen. Every screen I looked on had Excel sheets and I was getting, it was giving me a headache. I was, I was getting dizzy. There was no color. There was nothing. There was no form. There was no structure, just numbers. Right. Being able to be to be planted into that system in the early days helped us help me realize that um, that was the very first time we were able to provide and identify the business value, right, that design brings, especially at that period. It was a combination of many factors, a combination of the timing, it was a combination of the leadership of the organization at that time was a combination of the fact that there was no other designer. So I practically had, um, what's the word? Um, a, I had the freedom and autonomy to determine creative strategy at that point in time, as far as product and marketing was concerned. And that was really, really instrumental to my um, pivoting into this field I currently am at. Right, so um, that's in nutshell is my career history. I'm not a very good gister, right? So please bear with me. Moving on by the time the moderators ask questions, <laughs> right, we'll be able to um, provide more clarity. But that's in nutshell what I've been up to 15 years for my design career. I never practiced engineering once. Okay, I did actually. I worked in Nepal for, for six months. I mean, needless to say, that was a very productive adventure. I mean, it, it, it was all part of the journey, and I'm glad to have had that. So, um, Emmanuel Toby, thank you so much. That's the with that's polluting ritual with respect. Thank you, Paul. Thank you so much. Um, it's been an enlightening one, actually. Um, you just breezed through a couple of things that I believe that we will need to go in there to talk about because um, um, you can't actually cram 15 years into 15 minutes. It's very difficult. Um, so, yeah, thank you for that intro. But quickly, um, I just want to piggyback on some of the things you had mentioned and just um, like you to give, like, sort of like shed more light on it. At that phase where you were in terms of um, you had finished school and then you you were, you had that um, point where you wanted to choose the journey, like for yourself as a career, right? Going back there, right? What was it like for you, and what influenced your decision to, in terms of the organization to even work with? You must start from there. Okay, so you know, I would like to say I had everything planned out and figured out that I knew from the very first day, from the moment I graduated from school, that I was going to be a designer. And honestly, I did not. I was just going with the flow, to be honest, right? I didn't have any specific plan, right? But I would say my approach to life then was that so whenever, whatever, when you, when you see what you like, you will know, right? So there was a lot of exploratory work done, and it wasn't intentional. I won't advise anyone to do that now. But hey, we were young, we were still we were still living with our parents, there were no commitments whatsoever. So we could an amount of risks 
then we not we not think there were risks. We just thought we were living up our dreams. So let's just put that in context. Then the second thing, right? Um, straight out of school, I never thought, and I think this is an area that we, um, I think, is quite important. When I left school, though at that time there was this stigma attached with attached to working in nine to five. Now, I'm not sure if it still exists then, but for some reason, there was a, I mean, the fact that people that had run their own businesses or did their own thing, there was a kind of looking down upon on people that had nine to five jobs, right? Corporate slavery, you're not living your dreams, you know, all those kind of things were mainstream. So the goal was to say, you know what, now we're going to bring it on our own, we're smart, we are... We have all it takes. I mean, very naive assumptions, to be honest. Right? So that was what it was. We were going to build a creative or a design business that was going to put a dent on the universe. That was the idea. Right? So the choice of where to work then was around an organization or a culture that allowed us to do other things or that gave us the freedom or that gave me the freedom to do all those other things, right? So the first consulting firm I worked was similar to that. There was no, um, it wasn't really structured in terms of, yeah, it was structured in terms of the consulting business, but the operations of um, doing design work I was practically left to handle that by myself. So I remember then I, when everybody was working nine to five, right? Work five to nine, right? Five p.m. to nine a.m. alone at the office. So those are the kind of things. So it was it wasn't any strategic decision. It was just for the need to have freedom to do whatever you wanted to do. Right? I'm not sure if that answered the question. Yeah, thank you. Follow up that with what would you say was the real motivation transitioning into a design career, and um, if you can recall, it was it was passion. It was I think it was just passion, right? It was just passion. It wasn't any. It was passion. It was the fact that this was something I really, really enjoyed doing, right? And um, and. I think I saw, and, I, and it wasn't design per se, it was the fact that you could solve problems. It was solving problems in a practical way. I started engineering in school, and everyone said engineering was supposed to solve problems, but I could not reconcile Laplace transforms, for instance, with real-life problems facing everybody on a day-to-day basis. Yes, I know, I know eventually those engineering concepts solve those problems, but design kind of gave me the adrenaline rush to see, you know, we're solving the problem right here, right now. You could see it. You could see that. You could see how um, this solution works. You could see how um, the business card for this, you know, automatically made him a CEO for some for some reason. I'm not sure you understand. Uh, if you get, if if, if um, well, I mean, that was it. It was the fact that you could solve the problem. You could see this. You could see the effect of what you were doing. Almost immediately, you could see the value you were, you were you were providing at almost an instance, right? The fact that you could design something and you could see it come to life, it felt good, like, Lord. Okay, thank you for that insight. 
I don't know if uh, Toby wants to, because I know there are a couple of um, things that Toby had told me they wanted to ask on this space um, when we go live. Um, Toby, uh, over to you. Yes. So, um, hi, everyone. Thank you so much, Paul, for um, what you said so far. I've, I've learned a lot already. So I was going to ask you, um, what would be your advice to designers and other people in other who are trying to transition into the brand? Um, do you have like any specific nuggets you'd like to share with them? Okay. Um, thanks for that question, Toby. Um, yes, a couple of things, right? I'll say two things. The first is, um, is the why, right? So a lot of times, based on, based on experience and based on like the number of people we've tried to hire in recent times, a lot of things come through. Why? So why do you want to do this? Why are you coming in? Why do you want to do this? Everybody believes that tech is the next big thing. You know, let me enter tech so I can glow and jackpa or, you know, then for myself. So the, the, the why is a very, very important motivation. If you are transitioning into design because I think it's the easiest way into tech, all right? I hear that a lot, all right? Um, I think you should reconsider. I mean, hey, so I think you need to understand the why. Why are you doing this? Why do you want to do this? Is it about, um, are you passionate? Do you want to solve problems? Do you see yourself, um, are you, do you see yourself solving problems? Or do you see it as a gateway into a prosperous career, for lack of a better word, right? Now, don't get me wrong. The second option is very valid. It's a very, very, very valid way to look at things. But when, um, if that's the case, if it's just for a paycheck, you would probably do all it takes. You do the best minimum just to get by, all right? But as everyone that has worked in design or is currently a designer in any field will tell you, right, it's the extra that you put into it that is usually driven by um, something deeper. And that's something deeper is really an intrusive thing. So, for instance, um, you won't solve problems. I was very passionate about solving problems. I just felt that. Um, and I saw design as a tool for solving problems, right? So that's one. Understand the why. Why are you doing this? Why do you want to do this? Is it, and, uh, why is it important to you? The second thing is, um, is it possible for us to ever stop learning? Right, what design is if the field is very the world is evolving, right? Being able to understand what the changes are and how to evolve alongside is really key, right? So, another important thing is to, to stay teachable, right, and keep on picking up um, lessons wherever you go from anyone, from any scenario or circumstance is a very vital thing. So two things, one, understand the why and be willing to learn, learn from anything and any situation. Thank you so much, Paul. Um, that, that was really insightful. Yeah, so there's this very, um, very I don't even know what to call it, but let's say it's, it's something that people say, you know, how that 
you need to know how to draw to become a product product designer. So if if you could give us your take on this, like, do we even need to know how to draw, you know, to to become a product designer? What what God-given talents do you need? (laughs) Well, I... I, 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 I personally do not draw. Let's just put it out there. So in my family, I have three, I have, um, three siblings. All of them are artists. All of them can draw. All of them are fantastic people. I do not draw to save my life. I can draw stick figures. I can draw prototypes. I can draw lines and circles. But um, short answer, no, we don't know how to draw. Design is not. So in any way, it is, right? Um, I think I should just segue into this part of it. Design is not about making things pretty, right? Let us get that clear. It's not about, um, it's not about making things pretty. It's not about making things more attractive. It's not about whitewashing or painting things to make them beautiful. Design is more about the combination of form and function, right? If it's like riding on two wheels, if one is out of place, there will be no balance, right? So one wheel is form, the other wheel is function. In the area of form, that's where that's what people tend to um, describe or ascribe design to, right? It's both ways. So you need to understand how things work and how things look. So the combination of the two is brilliant. And thankfully, in 2022, or when I started my design career, there were already tools that you did not you did not need to know how to draw to use Photoshop. Right? The AI behind it made it easy as long as the ideas were in your head. Translating them to real life was just a matter of understanding the tools. Right. So to answer your question, the short answer is of course not. You don't need to draw. The only God-given talents that you need to have, right, to work in design is, I don't know, I think just to have the, just be able to identify problems and being able to see how things can work and function better. And if that is the only superpower to have, I think everybody, right, everybody has that already. It's what you do with it, improve on it, is how you... You, you polish that um, skill set, right? Is what makes it work. Right. Thank you so much. That, that made a lot of sense. Yeah. So, um, another question I have for you would be um, you know how, for instance, in terms of success, success like that, he scores goals. Yeah. Um, and so forth. We have examples like that. So for a product designer, what what do you think success looks like for you? Or, um, yeah, based on your experience, what do you think success is for a product designer? When can we say a product designer has been successful in designing products? Um, when the product success is... is Okay, um, I'll describe it as this. Someone's described good design as invisible, right? And <clears throat> someone's designed good design. Someone described good design as invisible, meaning that you, the design doesn't get in the way of solving the problem that you're trying to solve, right? 
So I'll say success is when, um, so for a long time, I thought when you designed something and everybody knew that, okay, yeah, everybody was particular about the way the thing was designed, right? Or the way it worked or the way it worked or the way it looked, the function and all, right? But I've come to realize that that's not what success is. Success is when the problem you are trying to solve is actually solved as seamlessly as possible, right? As seamlessly as possible. The operative word is seamlessness. If I have to, if I solve a problem, if I design a solution for a problem, and yes, the problem gets solved, but in the midst of it, all I'm getting fixated about is when is um, navigating the tools or navigating the solution or even admiring the tool and the solution, that doesn't solve the problem, right? It solves the problem, but is that the most seamless approach to make it work, right? So um, success is when the problem is solved without even the press, without even um, as seamlessly as possible. So imagine you go through, right now, you know, you want a problem. You, you, Google is a, is a very simple scenario. It's a simple test case, right? You need information intuitively. You bring out your phone and quickly Google it. Or someone here yeah, in the middle of a conversation and somebody is quoting some references. You quickly bring out your phone and you're yeah, Googling it, right? The tool, the search engine that Google is, has made the process of accessing information as seamless and simple as possible. That we often forget that there's a whole um, engineering and design and not just a design team or an engineering team in behind making that thing work, an engineering discipline behind making that thing work. So problems that success is when you solve a problem and the person and the people you solve the problem for do not even realize or do not even pay attention to the vehicle through which the problem was solved. Right. So for a product designer, how that translates is that um, how that translates is that the, um, the tasks, the, the needs of your users are solved, right, without design itself getting in the way. Hmm. Okay. So, so that being said, do you have like um, specific metrics you look after or you look out for to kind of validate, should I say, your success? You know, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, yes. So, I think that's a very subjective question in the sense that, um, so yes, typically, unlike fields that are that have empirical outcomes, like ones and zeros, that you can you would say yes, this worked because these parameters one, two, three, four, five, or six, or out of the five parameters you attract, you are only able to tick three. So you probably score the 60%. I think one of the things that makes design interesting is that it is very, very highly subjective. It is not imperative. It is, yes, I know we have tools that help us calculate usability scores and all of all those kind of things. But at the end of the day, they're still subjective. Right? So I think that's what makes it interesting. Now, the fact that um, my go-to um, me- metric for measuring success of a design initiative or an activity is threefold, right? So when I say this every time, 
for everything you do, you have three major stakeholders. And, I've, and, I, and I'm speaking as someone that leads a design team. You have three major stakeholders. The first stakeholder is your, your team, the people that worked on that project, or the people that birthed it, or the people that you know, had um, where it came from. Right. That's one. And I'll, say, I'll tell you why it's important to those two or three. So the, the people that work on that project, the designers, the developers, the researchers behind it, that's a major stake. That's one stakeholder. Right. The second one is your internal stakeholders. So that's business and the people whose business objective it is to get that product into the market. The third, most, the third important stakeholder is the user. Right, or the customer, and I say this in no particular order. Right, so success in meeting for me personally, and I mean, I'm not quoting any textbook, this is not any, this might not agree with a lot of design principles and philosophies. Right, I think success for a design initiative is when those three um, stakeholders. Are satisfied when their needs are met. Now, typically, what happens is that one stakeholder stops, sometimes two, right? A very good design is if all three are satisfied. An okay design is if one, if two of the stakeholders are satisfied. More often than not, you don't you don't get satisfied all of them because one, um, the a designer or the team the product development team working on that product or that feature or that solution or that service has ideas that are usually out, their, their approach to solving that problem would usually take more time or take more budgets or you know want to spend more time in research to understand the customer's needs right so the, in that case the um, the, the product team and the customer has to be happy, but the business might not be so happy with you because you've taken too long. And um, that's cost that affected the bottom line one way or the other. On the converse, if you have a product that satisfies the customer and the business, like the likelihood of the design of the product team that develops it being happy is very slim also, and vice versa. So I mean, most times, it's hard to balance these three metrics, right? But success, and it happens, I mean, if um, all your stakeholders are aligned, if there's a shared vision, if a lot of being done before the product development process, it's possible to attain this, um, what's the word? This level of satisfaction as a product designer, right? So, but it is rare. Let me put it that way. So right now, the managing expectations, as long as two major stakeholders are satisfied, you can't win it all the time, right? We are good to go. The, the goal is to have three of them satisfied, but most times, yeah, we'll leave with two. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, you know, hearing you speak, if, if I didn't see the flyer for today's space, I would say, a product manager. <laughs> but which kind of leads me to my next question. So, my next question would be um, 
is the role of a product designer comparable to that of a product manager in the team? If not, what are the responsibilities of each role and the skills needed for each role? You know. Also, how how do they like collaborate in building products between the product designer and the product manager? Okay, okay. So my my product. I wish some of my products. The members of my, of the product development teams I work with said that because from all limitation, we ne- we are always at loggerheads, right? A lot of times. But in an ideal situation, um, it's not supposed to be so. In an ideal situation, we have common objectives. Every, everybody understands the value that each one brings to the table, and we work together to attain that value. All right. But in practical terms, the definition of, and especially in these parts where um, product development as a discipline is relatively new in this part. I mean, I'm not sure 10 years ago, for instance, product, um, product development, product management, product design, and co were mainstream fields, right? So quick one, I just want to ask a question. I don't know how I'll be able to get and get the answers to that. Um, for those of us that are working in, in um, teams that have product designers, product developers and engineers, how many times on a scale of one to 10, what would you say the level of um, tension is? So if, ten, if we have a tension meter from where zero was no tension with alcohol and 10 was, you know, a very high tense environment that chairs are almost flying up and down. Is there a way to poll to see what level of um, tension most things are? If we can. <laughs> I would say six to eight band. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> that, that's, that's, yeah, I, I mean, I would say it depends. I, I would say sometimes, I'll say 7.5 to 9.5-ish sometimes at the beginning of the process. Okay. But as the yeah. product life cycle goes, as, as, begin, as people begin to gain trust and understand themselves, it drops, right? Then sometimes once they call that, would you know, push somebody's buttons or we'll look at numbers or we'll see what your competition are doing in the market and everybody gets tense and starts running again and we start fighting again and all that, and all that, and all that. But in the ideal case, right, we are working towards the same objective. So to your question, the role of a product designer and the role of a, of a product manager are very similar, but there's a bigger picture, right? There's an, there is a global environment where we're all supposed to be working to achieve the same goals. And in that environment, there are people that have um, interests. So for instance, there are our guys in business I need to make sure the numbers make sense. There are the guys in engineering that we can over-design. You know, by the time it comes out, you you nearly have a heart attack. There are partners in in the legal and compliance side that seem to want to hold you back from bringing all those crazy ideas to life. So I think 
the more holistic way to look at it is look at the entire picture, right? And how do we provide value, right, to all these fields? Now, let me talk at the product designer. At the product designer, you want to have, you know, um, designers we... I want to believe, please correct me if I'm wrong, um, for the designers in the house, you can identify by just putting an emoji or a thumb up or something to know if you agree with me on this. Designers are very op- opinionated. Am I right or wrong? <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Right. <laughs> absolutely right, man. You're absolutely right. As <laughs> I, I, I'm now I'm speaking as a designer. I think, or I also think that um, product managers, okay, no, let me pick my words wisely. <laughs> pick my words wisely. So, you know the way it is. So, product managers think designers are opinionated. Designers think product managers are, as in, don't see the big picture, you know, they just, you know, they're just running around like headless chickens. I didn't say that, but I did it. Right. Um, everybody thinks the guys in legal and compliance are just vibe killers, right? And engineers, they're like the holy grail. When all of you are finished running around, we are come to meet us and let whatever we say is final. What eventually goes, right? Now, bringing what is what what you realize is that 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 mix, everybody within that mix has it has oftentimes have very strong opinions as to the vision and direction the product or the solution should go, right? Getting everybody to see, to come together and understand that, oh, okay, have a, have a shared goal is where the work really is, right? A lot of times, the last, the piece of the puzzle that, of, that is often way off from everybody else, if you look at it, most times, right, is designed. Right, because designers are the ones that probably come with a solution that yes, because um, the nature of product design is to be at the heart and so of customer pain points, right? Um, you probably come up with solutions that don't necessarily meet the timelines or the business requirements of the other side of the, of the business, and you have to spend more time um, demonstrating value early. You get asked more questions. So this stuff happens to us a lot, a lot of times, right? Um, a product, um, there's, a, there's, there's a feature that needs to be developed. The engineers say, will tell you that come, say, I need three months, no, three weeks to develop this solution. Nobody complains. A designer will say, I need three weeks, and everybody's screaming blue mother, right? And it's simply because, <laughs> right, um, as a design person, you need to always, um, at this, at, at, at the early stages, you need to always demonstrate value quickly, right? And it's a good thing. It's a good thing because we have the tools, we have the access, and we have all that it takes to make us, to enable us to provide that value as quickly as possible. So, um, to answer your question as simply as possible, the rules are very similar if we look at it, well, but we look at them from two different points of view. As far as the designer is concerned, the role of the designer is to, you know what, be immersed in customer behaviors 
to solve their problems and translate those insights you get into product decisions. Now, the product manager is responsible for the entire process, right? How do all the gears connect? How do we make sure we are solving market needs, we are meeting the bottom line, we are tying all of these things together, right? But, um, sorry, but at the end of the day, what's important for us to do is to focus on what we have in common, which is the overall business goals and the overall strategy, what we're supposed to put together. Um, I hope that answered the question. Yes, it did. Thank you so much, Paul. Um, so, yeah, at this point, I am going to throw the uh, mic to the audience now and then anyone who feels like, you know, they have a question to ask can please do it. So, yeah, if you have a question, now would be the time to, to bombard Mr. Paul here before he leaves us. Okay, if you want to ask a question, uh, you could basically just um, request to join the space and we'll bring you up as a speaker. Um, also, you could use the hashtag Product Tuesdays, hashtag Product Tuesdays. Once you use that hashtag, we'll pick up the question and also ask and pin it to this space um, as well. Please don't forget um, for from whatever device you're using to listen to us, um, please do well to share this space. If you've picked one or two things that you feel like you want people to also learn or get some insights into becoming that designer, like that, like I, I can, I can just piggyback to even I starting out and then because that I currently am a product manager, but I started out as a I know, and I, some of the things that Paul has said, a lot of things he said actually resonates with me as a person. So if you have one or two people out there in your DM, on your pages, and you want them to be part of this conversation and to come ask the questions as well, uh, please do well to share the space um, um, and let them know. Uh, so if you're requesting, to, can you worry about that, please can you request again to join the space for those who have dropped off now. Uh, kindly request to join the space again and then we'll bring you um, up. Um, for all those listening to us, um, if it's your first time joining Product Tuesdays, uh, Product Tuesdays is every Tuesday, 6 p.m. West African time. Uh, Product Tuesdays at large is a growing community of professionals that are involved in the product development process. These are product managers, product designers, data analysts, data scientists, group managers, Product marketers, operations managers, software developers, the list goes on. Um, so if you're involved one way or the other in the product development process or life cycle, then click the link in the bio at Product Tuesdays and join the community. Click the link in the bio at, on Twitter, on Instagram, whatever social media platform you find at Product Tuesdays, also on LinkedIn, you could just follow and then get updates on upcoming events and some of the interesting things we have planned out. Um, uh, we did mention last week that the team at Product is going to be organizing a physical meetup, um, and we, we're going to be announcing the details shortly, not on this space anyways, but on our pages once um, some of our partners have 
giving the green light on that. Uh, so please do well to reach out uh, at Product Tuesdays to join the community. Uh, quickly, before we go to the audience, I, I think one of the things that I would have wanted to know um, as, um, like, I, I, when, when, when Paul mentioned that drawing is not necessarily a key criteria for for becoming a product designer, I just, I kind of like remember the, the time when I was interning at an animation show uh, in 2012, there about, and and then it was pretty interesting the fact that even some guys who came to, who requested that they wanted to be part, like they wanted to work there as interns and all of that, that even had like drawing skills and all of that. My then creative director, um, um, Tyler Fasson, I remember he, he turned down a couple of them and then I was, I was kind of like shocked. And then along the line, probably towards the end of my internship, he, he said something to me. He said, the reason why I picked you is because you, I find out that you are able to, you are teachable. I think that was the word he used then. He said you are teachable. Like a lot of the other people I interviewed and then and I've been turning down, you notice they have drawing skills, they're better than you. Um, in terms of drawing, you don't even match up and come here and then you're going out as a 3D artist. Um, it's because of that thing. And then I, I think... Um, Paul also mentioned that earlier when he talked about the world is evolving and being teachable. But right to what I want to ask Paul before we um, get on to the, the audience is it, the world is evolving. You did mention that. But in the area of um, remote work and how the world is changing around working remote and all of that, and then companies adjusting their models and embracing hybrid models and full remote culture. For a product designer, what are those things that you feel are very key in order to ensure some level of I say integrity? Because, you know, we have designers who do a lot of um, jobs, right? You're working for one company and working for the other company. And you're working for a, a lot of people. And then along the line, you have people who, no matter, they are not able to um, deliver quality across board for all of their clients because they are taking more than they can chew. What, what would you say about that? And what would be your advice to product designers out there and designers in general who are in that space and are struggling to manage that? Over to you, Paul. Okay. Well, that was a loaded question. Um, okay, so I think a lot of... Um, I, I don't think the question Okay, so um, I'd like to approach the question in, from two directions, right? Um, the world of work is evolving. The world of work has evolved, and it is still going to evolve. Um, so first, on the one hand, it is necessary and essential for um, businesses and co to respond to these changes use these changes to advantage. As designers also, we're able to use these changes to advantage um, in terms of being able to learn. And so let me give a typical example. We had an internship program um, some, at the beginning of the, earlier in the year where we're trying to get coppers to join the team as interns. 
right. 95% of the people that we interviewed started learning design for the very first time. The first time they, as in, they came close to anything related was during the lockdown. Right. So, um, that being said, the way the world of work has changed has made a lot of information available. It has made things more accessible, opportunities also. People get opportunities in all sorts of places and all. Right. And that has made um, what we do, because what we do is also a very highly sought-after skill. Um, it has made the layer of being able to stretch ourselves thin across many places very appealing, right? But I think it still boils down to as what I mentioned in the beginning, beginning, which is around understanding your work, right? And I mean, and I and I mean, this is not in any way trying to. Um, everybody has to do what they have to do, but on you know your work, if it's all about solving problems, you know, I'm sure we all know we can't solve all the problems of the world, right? So if it's really about that, are we able to be true to ourselves and say um, beyond the paycheck? And I know, and I say this with all sense of respect and responsibility, beyond the paycheck, you, it, it, can, it cannot just be about the paycheck, right? I think there's a level of investment that you have to be in what you work on to make it count, Right to make um, the end result count. Right, so is it possible for you to be to have that level of investment spread so thin across different platforms? I really doubt. I think yes, we have the, the opportunities to do a lot of things, but the peace of mind that comes with being able to provide solutions to something you're invested in is very, very key. The fulfillment there is priceless, right? That's on the one hand. On the other hand, um, the opportunities that come with this way of work help us do the things we do better, right? Um, it helps us do more things, but it also helps us do the things we do better. And I'm sure all of us that are in the product field know that you're, you never really finish, you never really end. Your There's always constant improvement in what you do, right? So, yes, the um, world of work has changed, things have evolved. But I think we should grow to the level where you are so invested in a particular solution that it makes sense to see through. And doing too many things at the same time would not afford you the opportunity to give that level, the commitment required to see those solutions through to the end. Right. And I, I, think, I mean, it's different for everyone. Right. But whatever that is, for you, wherever you are, within the confines of um, what is what is ethical, right? Because at any point in time that you feel that your level of investment 
in a product or a solution is not optimal or has gone beyond a certain threshold where you just don't care, where it's just about the paycheck. Personally, at that point, I don't think it's worth it anymore. I think it's not worth your time. It's not worth the level of energy and effort you put into your craft. Setting three, right? So everyone should define what that threshold is to themselves and work towards it. Okay. Uh, thanks, Paul. Um, I know one of the things that um, anybody either on this space or even I myself would like. Um, I've struggled with and I would like to get your take on as well is um, working with designers and working with product designers. I think one of the things that um, I find it easy, but don't find it easy, being that they are like uh, maybe a communications lead or a marketing person or, you know, or more technical people trying to work with um, product designers and like and, and then they're having that difficulty doing that. In your in your own view, what are those things you feel that are very key for business owners, founders, product managers, people who are involved in, in the development process of who have to interface to the or that like what are those key things that they need to that they need to know and understand so that it would help their working relationship with the design team or the product designer they're working with? Okay. Um, okay, so to answer that question, I would say, first of all, I, would, I, don't, I don't believe, I don't think it's the responsibility of the business person to find out. I don't think it's the sole responsibility of the business person to find out how product designers work so they come up with product designers better. Right. I think it's both ways. I think actually that most of the work is on the designers to be able, especially as you grow, maybe when you start, you can be focused on only design, but as you grow in your career and as you grow in your field, the responsibility is on you to understand business, to be able to speak business, to be able to speak the language of the stakeholders you are trying to satisfy, right? And there's something I tell the guys I work with. We, we talk about design thinking. We talk about empathy. Is it, can we apply the same empathy into our internal processes? Meaning, the same way you are the customer advocate, your partners are in, in, in the product and the business team, internal um, customers. Can you apply those same principles in dealing with them the same way you take, um, you you would like to work in the shoes of your customers, and you like to work. Is it, can we apply that same logic in dealing with our partners? Would you work in the shoes of a product manager who has, um, who is juggling like twenty five other things, or someone in business who's who has a gun pointed to his head to deliver on the bottom line? Do you understand? I don't think it's the biggest. Um, I don't think it's the sole responsibility of the people on the other side of the, of, of the um, product development cycle to learn what, what business, um, how product works, so they can adjust and speak to and communicate better with their product designers, right? I think it, it, there's room for cross-pollination. Yes, understand what, what the product development life cycle is all about. Understand the thinking. 
nobody sits on your projects just because we want to waste time and because we want to sit on it for the sake of it. There's business value on the both sides. But I think most, most of the work is on the side of the designers to um, carry their stakeholders along. If you need to do rituals, please do rituals. If you need to get, carry people along to understand what your process is, um, please do. In every, in every organization, except a core design firm, the design people are outnumbered, right? The ratio standard practice, the ratio of, I can't, the number, I'm not quite sure of the exact number, but I think the ratio of design of the ideal ratio of engineers to designers is like five to one. No, is it five or ten? Right. No, five. I think between five and eight. So the ratio of product managers to designers is like five to one. The ratio of business business dev people to designers is like ten to one. So you understand? Yeah, yeah, I've numbered already. Right. So the work is on you to translate what you understand in business in design terms to business terms so that your stakeholders can relate and relate to you, come to the level that communication is effective, is what I would say. Okay, um, thanks, Paul. Um, I, 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 I totally, totally agree with you that it's the relationship is both ways. Uh, it's not a conversation. Um, but I know you mentioned when you were doing the intro uh, that building experiences is more important than building products. And that's like a very key aspect of what we are dealing with today in terms of having to deal with usable products versus just having products out there that are not usable and then, and then don't deal with the experience of the customer. Would you like to, I would love you, not even that, I would love you to expand more on it and talk more about building experiences because it's one of the things that you are, you, you do in Adventure Switch. So building experiences, right? There's something I like to say that um, it is not every product design initiative that has to terminate on Figma, right? So it's not every um, problem that can be solved. Not every problem can be solved with an app screen. Not every problem can be solved with a 12 by 12 grid. Not every problem can be solved with a design system. Not every problem needs to have a pattern library, right? So it's all about the experience. If we can go beyond the tools and stuff and look at the problems that we are trying to solve, right, I think the world would be a better place. Uh, let me explain. For that. I was having a chat. We're having a chat on our group our team WhatsApp group about how um, there are these AI features that you put in keywords and um, the, so you, you, I can't remember the exact, is it planner? Is it, I can't remember the one exactly. But there's this AI platform that you put in different keywords. Maybe you say um, ginger cat in space. Ginger cat and space and to generate imagery, very, very photorealistic and very well done, strictly with AI, right? Better than most people would do on Photoshop, 
right? So what that means is that you have technologies being able to do the things that um, traditional use of tools can do, right? That's one. Um, we have, um, but people, yes, but there are some things that will not change. People still have problems, and how you solve these problems is what is essential for them. There's something called Moore's Law. Moore's Law states that um, the number of microchips, for instance, required to, on the, the number of, the, the size of the microchip is, reduces commensurately every year, right? So, you know, back in the day, phones were bigger because they had bigger microchips. Now, phone components are smaller, but are more powerful because of Moore's law. But the efficacy of Moore's law has been dwindling. If you, real, if you think about it, um, features, um, you can't really sell features anymore because it's a given. Everybody, your product is expected to work. You can't say your product has 99% downtime, uptime, because hello, all the products in the market have 99% uptime. You cannot sell on um, features anymore. In fact, before they said, we used to hear stop selling features, sell benefits. At the end of the day, right now, if you look at it, all the benefits have become commoditized. Everybody does the same thing. Right? So we're moving from the functional aspects of um, service delivery to the more intangible things, right? The more intangible things is the only value proposition you are going to have going forward, right? So is it possible we go beyond designing just for functionality to building experience, right? And what that means is not just how it's not just what it does, but how it does it. Is the storytelling behind it? Is the emotional connection that um, using your products and services give users every time um, that feature is being used? It's the things that trigger. It's, the, it's all. It's all the things that, that that come together to make the product experience as wholesome as possible. Right. And the good news about it is that we can design for those things. What people understand as, or what most people see as product design is designing the functional bit is to say, you want this button to do this function, right? Or this flow to be able to accomplish this task. But that is the base, that is the given. Is foundational. That's what that's very important. That's like the most important. But beyond that, how would you stay different? How would you be able to differentiate yourself from other products out there? The last we checked, I can't remember how many exactly, but the number of food, I, I mean, I work in the fintech space, the number of fintech apps in Berlin, right? Uh, you need like you, you, you might need to scroll to like the third page of your app store or whatever. To, to get all of them. How do you stand out? How do you differentiate yourself, right? You're not going to differentiate yourself on the fact that you can do funds transfer, you can do instant fund transfer, or you can do airtime recharge. What are those extra things that you can put? Not necessarily functional, 
that is what experiences give us. That is what building experiences do for us. It enables us to stand out from the clutter. It enables us build connections that are not necessarily functional and that are emotional. Let me just do a quick, um, typical example, right? I, I bank with GT Bank. I have other bank accounts, but my GT Bank account is like primary. And it's very simple. Simple reason is the experience. And it's not even a recent experience, it's the experience of the past, right? Because um, my, um, I've had not very pleasant experiences, but I'm not going anywhere. I'm still loyal, right? And this experience is very simple. When we're in the University of Lagos, Jaja Hall, GT Bank officials came to our hostel and opened got us open bank accounts for free. We got ATMs. They even gave us some merch back in the day for free. Nothing else. Zenith um, Bank and Access Bank were requiring like a 100k account balance. At, you know, all those kind of... But, you know, GT created an experience around account opening, right? Around banking that other banks you know, have right now. We're still looking out today because of that experience. That experience wasn't... Wasn't um, wasn't it look right? It was designed for the account opening process. I'm not sure anybody necessarily. Um, okay, I'm not sure there was no Figma back then, but I mean nobody designed any Figma screen to make that happen, right? Being able to sit back and think about what the real problem is, what the real need of the person you are trying to solve is and solve it in the most interesting and unconventional way sometimes is enough, right? And as designers, we already have the tools in our toolbox to make that thing work. The whole five-step design thinking process where empathy is key. That empathy, that's the stage of empathy is, we cannot, I mean, it has become a bastardized word, but I mean, hey, that is it. Being able to step into the shoes, being able to position yourself and understand the need of the person you're trying to solve the problem for, right, is really, really, really essential. The fact that you do not have the answer to the problem, you don't go with an answer already in mind, seeking as in trying to validate your answers with your people, but going with an open mind to say, okay, these are my assumptions, but my assumptions don't have to be correct. Am I open enough to change my mind when the facts change? Am I open enough to, to um, tear down every assumption I've built over the past when faced with new facts, right? I think those are the tools that we need as designers and that we currently have that enable us build experiences. Experiences over products any day, any time. Because people don't remember products, they remember experiences. You don't remember things per se, you remember experiences. You remember when you hear a song, it is a song that makes you smile. But the experience you had when you when last you heard the song, those kind of things. So um, yeah, I'm passionate about experiences actually. Products will be alright. <laughs> I like that. Uh, Products will be alright. Studio <laughs> Bloody. All right, so um, if I finally make it open to everyone who wants to ask questions, um, quickly, 
before we proceed, for all those listening to us right now, Product Tuesdays is a growing community of professionals involved in the product development process. These are product managers, designers, data analysts, data scientists, growth managers, product marketers, operations managers. I mean, the list is practically endless. So if you're involved in one way or the other in product development lifecycle, then click the link in bio at Product Tuesdays and join the community. So you can go to the Twitter page right now at Product Tuesdays and click that link in the bio. You can also find Product Tuesdays as well on other social media platforms at Product Tuesdays. Um, one of the, the follow-up questions I have that I don't know if I want to ask now or wait till the end is the fact that I've, I've seen that, um, obviously we all know that we're, there's always the, the, the inflow of talent and all of that. And then there's the, uh, what was it saying now, building a culture that actually talks about building the experience. You know, you've touched on the fact that building experiences is very key, right, which is very important. But how do you build a culture around your team as a team and as someone has built teams over the years? How do you build a culture that actually fosters that, that um, narrative around building experiences? I don't know if Paul, if you want to just um, shed more light on that. Okay. The culture question. Hmm. Okay. Um, yes. So a build, building a culture that's for the kind of experience you want, right? So first of all, um, I want to, I like to say I've been blessed with having, okay, like I've been blessed to work with amazing people. I've been blessed to have corporate cultures that foster creativity and um, help people thrive. Right. Everywhere I've worked and everywhere I have been opportune to lead teams, I've had the privilege of having amazing people to work with. Right. And um, and a culture that supports that. So my questions, my, my response, please, I, I, I recognize the fact that not everybody has had those kind of experiences. I recognize the fact that not every culture, not every work environment would give you the kind of will give you the kind of opportunities to talk about the things, to to experience the things I'm about to talk about. Right. So just that's caveat before I proceed. That being said, right, um, culture is key. I mean, um, as I like, I like to put it, so for, for instance, if you have, as designers, our fucking trade is not design. Let's, let's, just, let's just land that out there. Our fucking trade is creativity, and there's a big difference, right? Um, building a culture that fosters creativity has nothing to do with um, having pool tables in your workspace or having bean bags or being able, being able to bring in your pets to work, right? But I think it's more about the, <laughs> I think it's more about the, 
fact that you are giving room to express yourself, ask questions, and be safe. The psychological safety to question assumptions, to make mistakes, to be trusted to do your job, to have visibility of the stakes, as in to have stakes in what you do, and being able to be held responsible for all the outcomes end to end. Uh, a major component of that is um, psychological safety, right? I'm building, so right now, you know the way it is, there's a trend and there's a fad that people have come to define culture as having um, pool tables in your office, um, being able to bring your pets to work or having like, you know, like very beautiful aesthetics and a, a sleeping area in the office, right? Yeah, those things are very nice, they're good. But that they don't define they don't define culture per se. Um, we've had people in those kind of environments that um, still suffer burnout, still have um, still struggle, still wake up in the morning and are scared to go to work because of the toxicity that that, that comes from those kind of places, some of those places. But um, building the right culture, I think it involves around building an environment for psychological safety, right? So a lot of a lot of it is dependership, but a lot of it is also dependent on what we bring to the table. Um, is it possible for us to build an environment that enables people ask questions, you know, question assumptions, fail, try again, get up, hit it hard again, right? People get sanctioned. How do we treat mistakes? How do we, how do we, um, do, do people know that you have their back? Can people make, uh, can your people um, speak up to authority? Not in a disrespectful manner, but speak up to authority when things are not going according to plan. Can people be trusted to do the jobs that they've been hired to do without micromanagement? Can people own pieces of real estate, digital real uh, Well, I won't call it real estate. Take ownership of the things that they develop, right? Let it not be an us versus them thing. Let people have ownership of whatever they put their hands to, right? Being able to build that kind of environment, I believe it is essential for not just designers, but for everyone that is... is um, it's not just a paycheck at the end of the day, right? It's about the fact that you believe this is going to change the world or this, your input in this is going to make the life of somebody else better, right? And you give it your all. So the environment of psychological safety is key. The environment of trust where you have trust in your leadership, in the people that your managers and your leadership to defend you in the event that things don't go as planned, Right, um, and create an, an environment where you are nurtured. Um, like at InterSwitch, for instance, we have a mantra that we, we hire for attitude and train for competence. What that means is that you don't have to be a superhero when you join, but trust me, by the time you're leaving, 
or in a few months or years down the line, you have acquired so much knowledge and information and experience that compared to where you were when you started, in whatever field, not just design, right, in whatever area of expertise, you would have become 10 times better, at least, right? So those are the things that make for um, culture. And it ultimately tells, it ultimately tells if you're in the right culture, it's like the right soil where you plant a seed and it grows well. If you are within, if you're in an environment with the right culture, it's only a matter of time for that to come through in your work output, in your, in how you relate to your mental health. And the converse is also the case. If, yeah, if the culture where you are at is toxic, and by toxic, it doesn't mean that people are, I don't mean cultures where you are being pulled down or being, but where your best work doesn't come to the fore, it's also toxic, right? Um, it's only a matter of time for that to be seen in your work, in your mental health, and you just generally become very around you. Thank you for that. Um, is culture is a very key conversation in terms of building um, that workspace that thrives on that. Um, so, right now, um, we have, okay, Tayo Niger wants to, okay, we are setting on now to just quickly ask a question. Yeah, Tayo, uh, go ahead, please. Uh, hi, Paul. Um, hi, everyone. Hi, Tayo. Uh, thank you so much for, for this session. Uh, I joined late, but like, you know, so far so good, I've, I've you know, Gain one or two things from this conversation. Uh, thank you so much. So my, my question is about uh, designers experiencing burnout. Uh, same situation whereby you know, uh, fantastic, uh, you know, uh, a fantastic designer just you know goes from that that fantastic designer to uh, I don't even know how to you know how to stay, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. you just see like a designer losing their mojo, so to speak. Uh, so how do you advise that we manage like a designer experiencing burnout? Thanks, Tayo. I mean, that question there. <laughs> okay, so um, I want to first of all claim that I do have an authority in burnout prevention in burnout prevention and but burnout recovery, yes, like I can share a thing or two around that. So a lot of times what causes burnout, right? Um most design right, and I'm speaking for designers, most designers are perfectionists by nature. Most designers are very passionate. Most designers do hundred, right? And the likelihood of um Burnout is high, especially if you work in an environment where you're, you keep hitting brick, brick walls, right? So I think um, how it has worked or how um, preventing burnout works, um, how it has worked for me and for people I've, I work with 
is very simple. It's like two major things. The first is have a life. You need to have a life. I know we are passionate about the work we do. I know we are passionate about that we eat, sleep, and think design two for seven. Right? But we need to have an escape. And I mean, I'm not saying any vice or any of all those things, but we need to have an other area of interest where um, your your you distress or your you get rejuvenated. And let me explain why. So typically we take our experiences in life into the work we do. Right? So um, our exposure, you find that designs designers that are more exposed to different things. You see, you see, you see the you see the influences of, of that exposure in the work they do on a daily basis. Right. And the, the converse is also true. You take your experience and the things you do on your from a design perspective to how you interact with other people and how you live your life. Right. So I think that balance is very necessary to stay healthy, mentally especially. Um, what I would advise is that as much as possible, find other things that are not necessarily design-related that you like and that you can engage with. Now, for the second part, after you've experienced the burnout, um, because let me explain some things to you. There are some things that you cannot control or you cannot control just yet. I work in a place that has a fantastic culture, that everyone is amazing and everything, and you still obtain burnout because of things that are beyond your control. Market changes, you have to work late hours and all of those kind of things, and you don't necessarily see the, you don't get the adrenaline rush of a project that has gone live, right? So those are those ones that are beyond your control. So can you find things within your control that you can distress with? You get diversify your portfolio for lack of a better word. Do other things, have fun, you know, find something that makes you happy. Um, going through portfolios on Behance and Dribble doesn't qualify. That's the work. Find something else, right? Um, so the second thing is that okay, yes. So now you have doubts. So now you are you are tired. How do you get your mojo back? How do you um, find your first love again? Right, for lack of a better word. A couple of times, it is it's different for different people. Right? Um, different people have different ways to do it. So for me, the biggest level, my escape, I have two lovely daughters, right? They are the biggest stress relievers for me. I mean, just playing with them and watching Coco Melon and drawing and doing other things with them find has, just helps me, you know, see life differently. That Everything is not possible that bad anyway. You know, there's still life on this other side, right? For everyone, is different, right? There's the go-to place that you go to relieve yourself that helps you get, get a different perspective to life, right? For some people in music, I had there's a guy on our team that the musician, there are people that do different things to make themselves happy, right? So find yours and do it. But just know 
um, the the things, the conditions that make people get that make that cause burnout might necessarily not change. But I think at the end of this, there's a response to them that would make a difference. Okay, thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you. Um, I have Elian also um, up there. Um, Elian, do you want to ask a question now? Hi. Hi, uh, Paul. Hi, Dima. Hi, Elian. Okay. Um, thank you so much for highlighting um, uh, most of what we've talked about, most of what you've talked about um, starting as a product designer. But I have a question, um, especially uh, when you mentioned that we now have apps, we now have um, um, things that can even help designs better. And I'm thinking about the future where uh, product designing or UI UX design is something that can be automated. Do you get what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean? So something yeah. that AI can actually do. Now, um, for people who actually want to start their careers as um, product designers, um, for such a time as when, whenever that actually happens, um, what do you think would be the core skills that would um, last the whole, um, will I say time, so to say, um, regarding the advent of um, AI just coming over and then uh, having all of these apps that does the main designs, what would be the core skills that would remain regardless of um, uh, the new uh, design techniques or the new AI that comes in? What would be the core, t- core tech skills for any product designer now um, that would still like last even in the future? Thank you very much for that question. Funny enough, we are having this conversation last over the weekend, right, um, on the team, and it came really strong. So yes, um, I am trying. To, I'm going to quote one of my colleagues verbatim. Hold on, I'm looking for that part, right? Um, Okay, the AI capabilities are intended to help us track the process of creating building blocks for the interface, all right? So the designers and engineers can focus on solving real problems. The people operating AI-powered tools still have a huge part to play. And I'm putting word for word from one of the members of the team in response to a question I'd asked um, on this topic. But and I and I and, and to add to that, it's very straightforward, right? There are some things that AI can do. There are some things that AI will not be able to do because we are there's still a human part. Luckily for us as product designers, right? The things that are automated, the things that AI would automate, the things that um, machine learning would help achieve are around the, the tools, like the use of tools, right? How to draw grids, how to ensure that of the button to the toast is at a certain level, how to develop what image will work best as a hero image and all the likes, right? 
AI can solve all of them, but AI can replace that. In fact, AI, uh, need I say, I mean, you can, in the next five years, I don't think all of those things will be core skills anymore, right? But the things that make you a product designer is not, or, okay, what makes you a product designer is not your ability to use Figma or the knowledge of tools or knowledge of different tools here and there. What makes you a product designer? What makes you a designer um, is your ability to solve problems. That hasn't changed. Yes, AI, the advent of AI has made it possible for you to solve problems faster, to solve bigger problems, to solve more complex problems. But your problem-solving ability, but your problem-solving ability hasn't been hampered with, hasn't changed, right? The idea for us now is to, you know what, let us, the challenge for us to do is leave the tools. The tools are like products. The experiences are like the problems you're trying to solve. Can we dig deep? Can we, as designers, can we go beyond showing? I get really bored when I see um, case studies and people are showing me screens and mock-ups that are isometric and 3D. Please, 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 that's not the problem we're trying to solve, right? What problem, what problem has this your fine UI solved right now, right? As a product designer, AI cannot solve human problems. Well, I said that broadly, Isha, but AI cannot solve the basic problems that people deal with on a daily basis. That's what AI will do is to help you solve those problems faster, will help you solve more complex problems, will help you do things faster to enable you to have more time to dig deep into improving civilization or to improving the human condition. And I think what's important is for us to focus on that. And that skill hasn't changed. And AI um, is not going to take that away from us. Hope I answered your question, Elion. Yes, you did. Yes, yes, you did. Okay. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you everyone. First of all, I would like to thank Paul for uh, for honoring our invite, um, for joining this space. Where can you find Paul? You can find Paul on Twitter, on LinkedIn. On Twitter, you can find him at Paul0233, number 33, Paul0233 um, on Twitter. And you can also just search on LinkedIn at Paul0233 to connect with him if there's any designer that wants to do that. Um, big shout out to Toby, the data got an awesome course. Um, thank you for listening. And just a quick reminder, Product Tuesdays is a community and the community is growing. Uh, if you want to be part of that community, if you are a product manager, designer, data analyst, or you know anybody that is involved with the product development lifecycle, um, this is a community you want them to be part of. Um, we will, like we said earlier, we will be having a fiscal event soon. Um, we will be announcing in the coming um, weekly episodes that we have here on Twitter. So it's every Tuesday at 6 p.m. It promises to be an interesting one. I'm just going to 
um, let the cat out of the back for a bit. So we're talking about data and product development next week. So if you know anybody who is involved in that process, maybe a data scientist, a data analyst, product manager, or what have you, we have um, an amazing lineup of speakers that will be talking more around um, next week. Thank you once again, Paul, for joining us. Um, it's been an insightful session. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, thank you everyone. All right, then. Have a wonderful evening. And remember to follow us for the next few days.